debt. Debt is a plague in our modern world, isn't it? We got student debt and credit card debt and debt for loans and lines of credit. We've got even provincial and federal government debt. Even if we are, as people, totally responsible and make all of our payments on time, most of us still have payments that we need to make on debts that we have, like on credit cards or car payments or mortgages. And these days, this, these debts that we have can be anything from major stress for us to just a minor annoyance. But most of us at least have some kind of debt hanging over our heads, which carries an obligation for us to pay back something that we owe. We cannot just ignore debt and pretend that it doesn't exist, or else there will be escalating consequences. Interest and loan defaults, even criminal charges. Now, for most of us, it won't ever get that far, and our debts are just small frustrations. However, in the ancient world, debt was not the case. Debt was essentially a prison sentence. Until you paid back what you owed, the lender had a kind of claim over your life as a whole. And did you know that in the Roman Empire, the primary function of prisons was actually to imprison debtors rather than the many other kinds of criminals? They got other kinds of punishments, but debtors went to prison. And once you're imprisoned, that didn't remove the obligation to repay your debt. No, that it just fell to your family then to pay back what you owe, to pay what the, you need to get out of prison. They would feel immense pressure to come up with the money somehow. So, unpaid debts tended to mean tragedy, pain, and poverty, not to mention humiliation can even prove to be a matter of life and death for an entire family. Throughout history, this is actually how serious and dangerous it could be to owe a debt to other people. But what if we don't just owe debts to other people or human institutions? What if we owe a debt to God? To Sovereign, almighty God. If God has given something to us, and he has given countless somethings to us, and if we have an obligation to pay him what we owe, and I believe that we do, this is not a small thing that we can just shrug off or ignore. We must either pay the debt or be forgiven of it. Or else. Life and death, even eternal life and death, hang in the balance. And if this is true, we desperately need to pray about this. Because all of us, whether we're aware of it or not, are, have a relationship with God. Either a healthy relationship or a broken relationship. And, but unpaid debts always harm relationships. There's something comes between us. We need to come to God to deal with and have him address and deal with our debt. And so we pray. Plus, 
Jesus explicitly told us to pray about this. Please, if you would, turn in your Bible to Matthew 6 again. Matthew 6. We've been recently focusing in on five verses in particular here in which Jesus gives his followers instructions on how to pray. He gives an example prayer, which has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. And this prayer essentially consists of six prayers, six things that we should especially pray about, starting with, if you remember well, starting with the most important prayer of all, for God's name to be honored. We saw this, pray then like this, verse 9 in chapter 6, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God himself matters infinitely more than we do. And after this, we saw that God's kingdom and God's will are likewise far more important than our own agendas and our desires. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In verse 11, the prayer then shifted to ask God for for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. This is what we saw most recently. Now, some of these prayers have been challenging to pray for a variety of reasons. Perhaps none is as challenging to pray as today's. One scholar says it is the boldest prayer anyone can ever pray. Today, you may even need to ask yourself, am I even able to pray the Lord's Prayer in honesty and sincerity? After talking about our basic physical needs, Jesus addresses our basic spiritual needs, chief of which is forgiveness. Forgiveness from God. Hence, Jesus prays. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Theologian John Stott says that forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body. And so the big idea of this particular prayer request is simply this. We should pray for our Father to forgive us. We need to pray for our Father to forgive us. And forgive us our debts. Now before we go any further, let's first define forgiveness. So we're all on the same page. Ken Sandy, who wrote a famous book on making peace, says that to forgive someone means to release from liability to suffer punishment or penalty. That's a pretty good definition. So when we forgive others, it's to us to personally not hold punishment or penalty against someone else. And if God forgives us, means that he will not personally hold punishment or penalties against us. Now, to be clear, forgiving someone does not mean the absence of consequences, right? of consequences for doing something wrong. God forgives us because he loves us. He also disciplines us because he loves us. Right? Forgiveness means that I will not seek revenge or vengeance. But justice can still be done. Forgiveness means that I will love my enemies and those who 
hurt me, praying for them, seeking their well-being, not speaking ill of them. But it doesn't mean that things must stay the same or go back to the way they were before. You get the difference there? Forgiveness means seeking reconciliation and peace as far as it depends on you. It's releasing someone from the punishment that your heart wants to inflict on them. It's in love being willing to pay the price yourself, like Jesus did. Right? Bearing the emotional or relational pain instead of sticking it to them. So, if that's forgiveness, why do we need to pray for God to forgive us? And why is this so important? Well, God's merciful forgiveness really lies at the heart of our faith. And like we said, life and death, eternity is at stake here. Indeed, J.I. Packer says, the Christian lives through forgiveness. We live through forgiveness. We could have no life or hope with God at all had God's Son not borne the penalty of our sins so we might go free. So we pray for it because it is through prayer that we receive the gift of forgiveness from God. And thus it is how our broken relationship with him is restored. Right in the Lord's Prayer, you can see this stated in a more basic way in the simple fact that we have debts. We have debts and forgive us our debts. See, we should pray for our Father to forgive us because we have much to be forgiven. We have so much. We need God to forgive us because we have so much that needs to be forgiven and forgive us our debts. Now, you may have heard or memorized even the Lord's Prayer a bit differently than that. You might hear the words trespasses or sins in your mind instead of debts. And none of those are a wrong way to pray this. In fact, the verses right after this, verse 14 and 15, talk about forgiving trespasses. And in Luke's account of this prayer, he says, forgive us our sins. So these are not wrong ways to pray it. But the word that Jesus used here always referred to something being owed or due. Hence, debts. It's supposed to evoke a vivid picture in our minds of, of something that we owe to God, a, really a serious offense against God. There are things that we ought to give to God and haven't. It has gone unpaid. So what is it exactly that we owe to God? What debts do we have with him? Well, first of all, ever since the creation of mankind and God's original instructions for us and our original failure to keep those instructions, we have owed our creator obedience. Obedience, or as Paul describes it multiple times in Romans, the obedience of faith. We owe it to God to believe in him, to trust him, to follow his ways. Related to our obedience, we owe our loving Heavenly Father love and worship. And he's not only made us, 
He's not only commanded us, but he's, he's blessed us. He's lavished his love on us. It's only right that we return that love to him. He's worthy of it. So we owe him loyalty and devotion and gratitude and praise and honor. What this means is that every time we fail to love or obey God, we add to a debt. Every time we fall short, every time we do wrong, or every time we omit to do good, we add to this mountainous liability. Our sin is a constant failure to pay. As Helmut Thielich puts it, all of us have a great mortgage upon our life. The difference between this mortgage and, say, the mortgage we have on our home is that one day, Lord willing, we'll actually pay off our house's mortgage. Right? We will, I can work hard and make payments, and over time, the debt dwindles until it disappears. Not so with the debt we owe to God. We cannot ever do enough good to pay it off. We can't make up for our failures to obey God or love him. Our offenses are too many and too deep and too continual. The debt only grows. You doubt me. Just skim your eyes over the verses all around the Lord's Prayer here. Look back in chapter 5. Just skim it. It's like, ask yourself if you are always poor in spirit or, or humble in heart, merciful, pure, if you're always making peace with others, letting your light shine before others, ask how many times you have lusted after someone in your heart or gotten angry at someone, insulted them, made rash promises or wanted to get even. Ask how often you've shown love to those or prayed for those who have hurt you. That's just in one chapter. Right? In chapter 6, we see how, how sinful our heart's motives are, how often we do things for other people's praise instead of God's praise, how frequently we worry not trusting God the way that we should. We go to the Ten Commandments, almost anywhere else in Scripture, and get the same idea. We fail to love and obey all the time. And thus, we are racking up a, a monumental debt that needs to be paid. And yet a debt that we cannot pay off on our own. Our only hope lies in forgiveness. Notice that again in the Lord's Prayer, this prayer is meant to be a, a family prayer for Christians. We shouldn't just pray it individually. Forgive me my debts, but forgive us our debts. Of course, each one of us needs personal forgiveness of sins. But we pray this 
confession together in, in unison with believers all over the world, declaring our desperate need for our Father to forgive us. But you may wonder, why do we need to pray this on, a, on an ongoing basis? After all, if Jesus' death forgives all sins and God saves us once and for all, then why should we still need to bring up our sins, our, our daily sins again and again? Why should we keep praying this? Think of it this way. God is the judge who declares sinners not guilty forever. Yes. But he's also our father who has adopted us sinners into his family. Now, do we pray our father, or sorry, do we pray our judge in heaven to forgive us our debts? Technically, yes. But how are we told to address God here? Our father. Then, as J.A. Packer explains, the Lord's Prayer is the family prayer in which God's adopted children address their father, and though, and though their daily failures do not overthrow their justification, things will not be right between them and their father till they have said sorry and asked him to overlook the ways they have let him down. From one standpoint, Christian shortcomings offend most of all just because they have the most reason, the love of God in Christ, and the most resources, the indwelling Holy Spirit, for avoiding sinful ways. So it's ongoing. 1 John 1.7 says that if we walk in God's light, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we are being cleansed of all sin. But then the, the next verse says, speaking to believers, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We hold these two truths in tension, right? That we are cleansed from all sin, and we still have sin. They're both true. So, what should we do? Verse 9 answers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, and again, and again. Let's just marvel at a couple things there. Okay, first, we have this massive, God-offending, hell-deserving, unpayable debt. But we need only ask for it to be forgiven. That's it. That's astonishing. I mean, God doesn't require, he doesn't demand that we make up for all the wrong we've done. That we earn it back. I mean, that'd be fair. But he knows we'd never be able to do that anyway. So, so God's means for us receiving forgiveness. Pray. Confess. Father, forgive us. And then, just marvel at the fact that God answers this prayer. 
For, for God to forgive our debts means that he cancels them. That he, he wipes the slate clean. He drops the charges. He deletes the red numbers. In, in Colossians, as Pastor Bob so masterfully acted out a few weeks ago, says that God made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Remember the record of debts nailed to the cross. That's the answer to prayer. I mean, this should always astound us. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong. It's like many of the other parts of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus himself is shown to be the truest answer to the prayer. Talking about that passage in Colossians 2, Daryl Johnson exclaims, What a liberating picture! The list of decrees against us, all the particulars of the titanic mortgage upon our lives, that long, long list of failures to do our duties, that long, long, long list of debts. Jesus Christ has grabbed hold of it all and taken it to the cross. And by his blood, he's canceled it all. The one who teaches us to pray so boldly, Father, forgive us our debts, is the one who takes our debts upon himself, goes to the cross, and dies to erase the ledger. Whatever it is we owe, Jesus Christ has paid it all. Jesus even prayed this very prayer on behalf of the whole human race on the cross. Remember? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's only that bloody death that gives us confidence that our prayers will now be answered. Just, just think how crazy it is that Jesus tells rebellious sinners, dirty sinners, to approach God's holy throne, to come before God who who can't tolerate any evil. He tells us to come before him with the audacity to believe that God will actually forgive our crimes. That's crazy. And the, the only reason we should even dare to do this is because we know Jesus paid our debt. So if you are still in debt to God today, I would urge you to humble yourself and ask God to forgive you. Get over yourself. Confess that you can't do it on your own and you need Jesus. And I give you my word based on God's word that he will forgive you. And no matter what you've done, no matter how big of a debt you've racked up, Jesus paid enough. He bled enough to cover your debt too. And if you already count yourself as one of the forgiven, let this just move you to worship him. Right? To, to thank him for his mercy and his grace. To, to praise him for it. To spread the word. 
And let it move us to keep running to him, even daily in prayer to, for, for the forgiveness that we need. In order to, to pray this prayer most in the best way, I think it's best to be specific, to examine yourself, to think through, how have I sinned against God or others? So that you can confess and repent most specifically and strategically. And we need to know where we've fallen so we can address it and we can be forgiven. I think it's wise to use scripture to help identify where we've gone astray. As we read, let it convict you and cause you to pray. And then pray. Trusting that God hears and God forgives us because of Jesus. Now I could end the sermon right there. Be a glorious place to stop. But Jesus doesn't, so I can't. See, once we are forgiven by God, it should work a fundamental change in our hearts. And we should become a forgiving people. Readily able to pray, as he says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a confusing statement for us, an alarming one, and it worries us. I think something like, my only hope is if God forgives better than I forgive others. <laughs> right? And the good news is that he does, that he fully forgives and perfectly forgives. But that doesn't change the way that Jesus tells us to pray. We, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I believe that the point here is this. We should pray for our Father to forgive us in the way we now forgive others. We should pray for God to forgive us in the way that we now forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One author calls this one of the most arresting and disturbing things Jesus ever said. What does this mean, right? Are we to pray that God would forgive us because we've forgiven others? No. That God would forgive us to the degree that we've forgiven others? I hope not. Here's what I think. I think Jesus was assuming that his followers would be forgiving people. That it was a given, an automatic, forgiven people forgive people, period. Forgiven people forgive people. Luther, Martin Luther said that the implication of this prayer is such that if we don't forgive others, we're actually praying, Father, do not forgive us. Daryl Johnson elaborates on this saying, if I am not willing to forgive others, then I am not asking God to forgive me, no matter what words I use. I am asking God to excuse me, but not asking God to forgive me. 
See, when we ask God to forgive us, we're asking him to withhold justice from us, right? That's what we're asking him to do. Because if justice was meted out, we'd all go to hell. So withhold justice. And at the same time, we're asking for him to exercise mercy and grace to give those things to us. So Johnson then asks, now what's going on in my heart when I refuse to forgive others? I am demanding that justice be done. That person hurt me deeply and deserves justice. I am not also not wanting the other person to experience mercy. That person should be punished or be made to pay the debt. Can the human heart stand before God in those two very different modes? No. It is like saying, Father, I take my stand before you on the basis of the cross of Christ, but she or he cannot. She cannot benefit from the cross. She has to pay up first. To say that reveals that I have no clue of what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer. The prayer goes, forgive us our debts, after all, which would include their debts against us. How can we how can we ask God to forgive us if we won't? Are we so prideful to think that sins against us are more offensive than sins against him? Imagine the disciples hearing Jesus pray the Lord's Prayer for the first time. As he goes through the first three requests, I can picture them wide-eyed and smiling. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Amen. Then they nod in agreement as Jesus says to, to pray for daily bread and forgiveness. Yeah, we need those things. But then he says as we also have forgiven our debtors. Eyebrows scrunch up, visibly bother. Wait, wait, what did you just say? Maybe they couldn't even focus on the final request Jesus gives in the next verse. Because as soon as Jesus is done with the prayer, he goes right back to forgiveness. It's like Jesus knew they were stuck there. He needed to to make a further comment, further explanation. And so he says in verse 14, look there. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus made a similar point with a parable in Matthew 18 where a a king forgave the debt of one of his servants who owed him essentially millions of dollars. But then that forgiven servant goes out and exacts a minuscule debt owed to him by a fellow servant. Talk about ten bucks. Ignoring the man's pleas for mercy, he had him thrown into debtor's prison. And when the king heard about this, he gets enraged 
Brings his servant back in. Says, listen, I forgave you this massive debt. How could you not extend even a shadow of that mercy to someone else? And then the king rescinds his previous offer and throws his servant into prison. And Jesus concluded, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. That will be crystal clear. Our forgiveness of others does not earn God's forgiveness. It does not earn it. His, his forgiveness is what should inspire and empower our own. Stott explains it this way, says, This certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent, and that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. Holding fast to unforgiveness, I believe, is proof that our hearts have not been fully changed by Christ. You might be skeptical. They're like, really? Or you're concerned. So what if there's someone that I haven't been able to forgive? Does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean that God won't forgive me? Without knowing your heart or your circumstances, all I can say is that it's very possible. That scares you. Don't just change the way you pray. Change the way you forgive. Or actually take a step further back and make sure you're forgiven. Because if Jesus has forgiven you, it's impossible to remain unforgiving. Can't stay there. How do we know if we haven't forgiven others? You might just ask, well, who's hurt me? Is there anyone I am still really angry at? Anyone that I am bitter against? Those are signs of unforgiveness. Someone that, that uh, the thought of them may make your teeth or your fist clench, your heart race. It can be difficult to be in the same room as them, talk with them, spend time with them. This may take some serious thought and prayer to identify people like this in your life. It may not. You may know it right away. But those are your debtors. Those are your debtors. You feel that they owe you something. Justice, to, to feel the way that you felt, an apology, whatever. Right, some of you may have been stuck here in unforgiveness for years, decades even. But because of Jesus, there's hope to be free from that burden today. And it is a burden on you, not them. 
Right? You, you can be free from that burden. As Lewis Smead says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. Forgiveness can be hard, costly, painful work, but it's ultimately freeing and healing. And I think that forgiveness likely needs to be a daily thing we practice because people wrong us daily, don't they? And, of course, we certainly wrong God daily, and we need his forgiveness. Kids need to practice forgiveness all the time. Parents, too. Singles. I know that a lot of people hurt you with insensitive comments or unrealistic expectations. We've all got friends who have offended or insulted or alienated us. Married couples. Forgiveness is really the lifeblood of a healthy marriage. The people whom you love the most will often hurt you the most. We've got to forgive. Some of you may object here, though. Like how, how are we supposed, to, how are we supposed to, to forgive huge hurts in our lives? I mean, wouldn't that excuse something that's just not okay? Or say that it's not a big deal? Maybe people have done some awful things to you in your life. And I don't want to minimize your pain in any way. But I believe I can say that your hurt was nothing compared to Jesus's. I think that's fair. And he forgave you. I read this from Sam Crabtree this week. He said, forgiveness is not a matter of claiming it was no big deal. If it were no big deal, it wouldn't need forgiving. Things that need forgiving are things that got Jesus killed. All of them and each of them. I think the gospel is the only thing that can really empower forgiveness of the biggest offenses. It's the only thing. Not only does it, it give us the motive to forgive because we've been forgiven, it shows that, that Jesus bears our pain and our sorrows in deeper ways than we can fathom. And it shows that evil won't go unaddressed or unpunished. It wasn't on the cross. And, and that one day Jesus will return to make things right. To right all wrongs. We can trust him. Only the gospel can do that. Daryl Johnson says that a great way to pray this prayer is to do what he calls a debt cancellation exercise. Debt cancellation exercise. I'll walk you through how to do it, and you can do it now. You can do it later today. If you're struggling with this, I definitely encourage you to do it. But the first step, he says, is to bring to mind the person or the people you have a hard time forgiving. Okay, so think of them. Second, tell your father exactly what they did to you. Name them. Name the things. Lay it all out on the table. Next, be honest and tell God exactly what you'd like to see happen to them. How would you like them punished? 
or penalized or hurt like you were hurt. The next step is to picture yourself at the base of Calvary's hill where Jesus died. See Jesus hanging there, bloodied and dying, and inviting you up the hill. Think of what you would want to say to him. Tell him how hard it is to forgive. Then, picture yourself walking back down the hill to the person who hurt you and walk them, escort them back to the foot of the cross with you. Look at Jesus, but point to the person beside you. And even if this is through tears, say, Jesus, give this person what you gave me. Father, forgive them as you forgave me. And lastly, hear his answer. Yes. We're never more like the Father or the Son than when we forgive. And it's his joy to answer the prayer. The world recently got a glimpse of this kind of forgiveness in a viral news story that you all likely saw. In Texas last fall, police officer Amber Geiger mistakenly entered into an apartment that wasn't her own where she shot and killed an unarmed young man named Botham Jean. And this October, Geiger was found guilty of murder, sentenced to prison. When she was sentenced, Botham's brother, Brant, was given the chance to make a statement. And what he said stunned the world. It really did. He said, if, if you are truly sorry, I can speak for myself. I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. Again, I'm speaking for myself, but the lo I love you just like anyone else, and I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I presently want the best for you, and the best would be to give your life to Christ. Brant then got down off the stand and hugged his brother's killer, who was sobbing by this time. Now, justice was still done as was right. And Geiger is serving time. And only God knows if she has or if she will give her life to him. But I do know that there is mercy and grace available even for the worst of sinners because I'm one of them. And when God's people forgive from the heart, it stands out in our world that is devoid of forgiveness big time. People can't wrap their heads around it because it's really a, it's a glimpse of another kingdom. 
a different world. And through it, we begin to resemble our Father who is in heaven more and more. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive them. What better prayer could we possibly live out? I invite you to pray with me. As we do so this week, I'll have you stand up. Do something that might make you a little uncomfortable. I think that's okay. I'm going to pray this as a family. And so why don't you just put your arms around your neighbors? Okay, if, you've got, if you're in a row by yourself, move to another row. Okay, and then bow your heads, okay, close your eyes, and just think through for yourself, for those around you, this week, today, how have I fallen short? Or habits that keep coming up again and again. Those in your mind... And thinking only for yourself, not for those around you, but think of your sins. And then ask. Let's ask together. Father, forgive us. Every one of us needs this. you pray and you ask for his forgiveness, why don't you ask him a question, Jesus, do you forgive me? And hear him say yes from the cross. Heavenly Father, you are holy and we are not. We are desperate. We are cleansing. You promise us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive us and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come before you today and we beg you for this. Change our hearts today. Forgive us and then make us a forgiving people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stay standing and the worship team will come and meet us as we close.